All right, we are rolling. We are rolling. Welcome, well, Nicole. It's nice to see you. I'm so s sad it's under these circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've already voiced off camera uh, my envy for your background, but um, it, I will try to grow in faith. It's fun to play with backgrounds. You know, this is the actor background in me. I'm setting the my, my stage, you know. It's yeah, fun. well, okay. I want to talk about acting and all that. Um, all those pieces of your pre-ministry background. So we're gonna to get to that because I'm curious how that's impacted your work. But first of all, catch us up. It's been, we realize, between five and six years since you left Westminster, which for me is still hard to get my head around. Mm -hmm. So um, not everybody knows exactly what you've been up to, so just catch us up. Okay, well, first I wanna say how fun this is. Is uh, when you called me to do this, it felt a little like you were Brene Brown and I was your guest, and we have a podcast. Only you can see us, so uh, so that's fun. This is probably you know I'm trying to find fun these days. I think we should all give ourselves permission to experience joy. And so when you asked me uh, if I wanted to do this, my first uh, impulse was this will be fun, so let's do it. And I didn't want to know what the questions would be, but. Let's see, since I uh, left Westminster, as, as many know, I graduated seminary and went straight into my first call at St. Luke Presbyterian in East San Rafael, out by Loch Lomond in the Peacock Gap area. Um, a wonderful, uh, very intimate congregation of about 100 people who behave like one big extended family where everybody looks out for one another. Oh and uh, they call on one another and take care of one another in a very beautiful way. And then you also, they're also very dedicated to um, the community around them. And um, they're very, very, they step up when asked to step up, which is really nice. It's been a oh, joy. That wasn't where I thought maybe you were going when you said that behaved like one extended family, but that, that may say more about my understandings of family than anything. Those moments, but in my experience, those moments, occur in every church uh, where people do get close and uh, with that closeness sometimes comes the ability to push one another's buttons because they are like family so um, but you know, the beauty of the church is that we trust one another and my hope is always that when people get annoyed they will work it out like like Paul said you know take your complaints to one another the Apostle Paul so so they've been a joy and um, and I, I started out uh, I, I moved to San Quentin right around the same time I started that job and um, have a beautiful view of the water and I'm surrounded by birds all all day long, every kind and seasonally different kinds. And I, I had a friend from Los Angeles who's a an actor and a director and he came to visit me and he said, how's it been going living here? And I said, you know, I really enjoy watching the birds. And he said, I'll take things old people say for 500, please, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I tell you what, the pleasures do change. Mm -hmm. I, I said to Sherry uh, a, a month or two ago, our son was finally in bed, and she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the road. And I just pulled up a chair and looked at the road. And then the next night, she said, do you, you want to look at the road again tonight? And I loved it. It was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I remember... Uh... I remember John Trotter's grandmother used to say, um, when you'd say, what are you doing? She'd say, just watching the trees move. Oh, yeah. you know, isn't that, it's funny you say it though, because that day when I was looking at the road, 
I noticed the way the leaves moved on the tree across the street in ways I have never noticed. I just thought leaves, tree, period. But it's, there are like nine different ways a leaf can move on a tree. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. And I don't remember which of our theologians, or maybe it was John O'Donohue or somebody, but who said that when the trees move, it's as though they're praising God for their own beauty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you so you've been in that church for longer than many calls last, believe it or not. Is that um, right? What's the average? Well, I I think it's somewhere between three and seven. Well, uh, the the last stat I used to carry around was that fifty percent of clergy leave ministry for good within three years. Wow. Um, I think call lengths maybe six or seven. So you're you're right up there, but I don't I don't think you're rolling out of there anytime soon. Can you, now that I know you've been in it for some time, but have there been things that have been surprises to you? And I, and we should acknowledge you were in ministry long before you were ordained. So you wouldn't probably encounter the same surprises, somebody who just, you know, went from college right to seminary and then boom into the church. But what, what has surprised you, if anything, about the work? So, um, what surprise! You're right, and thank you for that acknowledgement that I have have been in ministry for a long time. And um, I think I think what surprised me, especially in this congregation, was just how much exposure I had right away to death. And um, the first week I was there, a 17-year-old girl got uh, hit by a car jogging on San Pedro Road, and so that was my first memorial service and um and then about six months later a 25 year old or six year old um died and so those were tough and then within that first year i had um 16 deaths in the first year so so it was a baptism by fire around death and dying and did a lot, made a lot of hospital visits, a lot of home visits. And, you know, as God would have it, it's the thing that gives me probably the most angst in my own life is the idea of dying. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to miss what's going on here. And, I, I, you know, I, um, having grieved my own father's uh, death, that really began my sort of deeper journey with what is it what is this you know the all the existential angst that one might get when one is like woody allen so you know that's sort of that's how i've i've always lived and excuse me i'll decline that i just uh, hope that's not death calling now i will <laughs> now i will mute the phone so it's been a, a, a both a personal journey, but also and the kind of journey that comes uh, similarly to being a parent, where you are really called to go outside of yourself and not be as self-reflective as something, but when you're really there for somebody or something else or some other purpose other than self, it has a way of working you whether you consciously decide to be worked or not and um and that's what's that's that's been sort of the surprising theme in all of this is um 
I didn't realize how much exposure to to death and dying and illness that I would have in in this in this church. Thank you for for saying that because I I think so often people assume that clergy folk don't experience things like angst about death. I mean, I, I will hear from time to time people say things that reveal some idea of the faith they think I must have. Right. That it must look like this. But oh surely you don't worry about this, or surely you're, you know, farther along in that. And I kind of look around thinking, oh, they think that's the way I am. Um and so my guess is that what you just said was a surprise to people. Um, I know it's not you it's not unique. I mean I, I share some of those same existential fears even as a person of faith. Um, so can you say anything more about that for, for people who might be watching who feel similarly or yeah, like what are those you, questions and feelings like? Yeah, well, you made a really good point, And that is that people do make assumptions of, about the, the, the robe, you yeah. know, the, the, the part the, the, that you're that you're in the call. And um, and that's part of what I mean by. I'm not, I'm not in those moments that I'm there for them working out my own angst consciously. So if I'm asked about it or if they're projecting their feelings onto me, there's a, there's a lot of, okay, it's clear that's what they need in those moments. Or, and so in that moment, I'm happy to tap into that part of me that says, none of us really knows what's going to happen. So, okay, yeah, yes. Yes, I be- yes, I believe there's a, I mean, yes, I believe they're going to see one another again. Yes, I believe, and I do, really, I mean, that, that's the good news. I really do believe that there's something that happens after we die, that there's some level of consciousness that we don't tap into, that we are not aware of. And, and, and that's, and I base that belief on on my experiences with my father after he died. And uh, people have asked me, well, don't you think it's just because you're looking? You know, you're more, and I said, well, sure, maybe, yeah, but maybe it's the looking and the practice of paying attention that allows us to tap into something that was there all the time that I just didn't notice, but noticed because of the grief. So, so that's, you know, that's, there's just been too, many examples of times where I was convinced that my father has shown up. The tricky part there is that a lot of people have experienced the death of loved ones where they didn't feel that they've showed up. And they wonder, well, why what did they do wrong or, yeah. Right. And I, I, I can only say that, um, so that I, I have, read a lot about that and I've talked to, um, well, I went, I was given the gift of seeing a psychic when I was 40. And um, I believe she was a real deal. And uh, she didn't know anything about me. She lived alone in a guest cottage of someone's house. She was probably in her late seventies. Everything was white. She had a cat. I mean, it, she was a lovely soul and said a lot of things uh, that were um, pretty 
spot on and incredible that I don't need to go into. But at the end, she said, um, is there any questions you have for me? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm curious if my grandparents, who were both dead, come around, you know. And she said, what are their names? I gave her the names. And she said, oh, yeah, your grandmother comes around to see the children. But your grandfather's very busy. And anybody who had knew my grandfather would know he was always busy doing things around the house, always fixing things and doing things and going. And he lived till he was 98 years old in the Bronx alone, you know, in the snow and the sleet and doing his own shopping. And he was just strong and busy. And so I have read articles that talk about how some people, when they go, they move on. Other people stick around, kind of make their presence known. There's, and so that's how I, you know, I know this is pretty far out there for a lot of people, and I and I'm sure like a lot of them have stopped watching now. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe our professors, but but I sort of feel like <laughs> this is the experience of many people in the pews. But the tragedy is they think they need to keep that a secret because it's somehow out of bounds. Right. And and I think something like that, what you've just said, my guess is several people just leaned in closer. And, and part of what you've given us too is this idea that um, one thing doesn't have to replace the other. So you can both have those convictions about death, about heaven, about eternal life, and still have real moments of terror or fear or wondering or uncertainty. And that it's not like you get one or the other. We all get measures or many of us get measures of both. Yeah. And similarly, it's not like you have to have some very narrow, strict understanding of Christianity. Um, and then everything else uh, is sort of, you know, heretical. Um, I mean, psychics, I mean, what a perfect thing we could make fun of, but I mean, uh, uh, accessing the spirit world is something that is across cultures. Every culture has folks that can do it and do it well. And then every culture finds a way to put taboos around it for some reason. So, uh, you know, I, I've had more conversations with members who've told stories like that than I think most people would guess. And they just think it's needs to be kept a secret, but. Right. I mean, my recollection of you, among many others, is one of the reasons you connected so well with people is because you said stuff like that. Yeah. Or just other stuff that normal people felt. Like you didn't feel the need to have the veneer of sort of uh, holiness that actually just keeps people apart from achieving their sort of destiny. I mean, do you feel that? And do you actively lean into that? Or is that just who you are? Uh, both and, you know, back to your earlier point of both th two things can exist at the same time. But I, but I just, before we move on to that, I just want to make it clear that my angst around dying is not about the, the other side, mm, mm. about not wanting to leave this life. I don't want to miss my kids. I don't want to miss my grandkids. I don't want to leave. And yeah. so the angst comes out of the depth of gratitude for living this beautiful, holy life that I just don't want to leave. And so, yeah. yeah. So, one of the gifts of being with an older congregation is they've made peace. So many of them have made peace with that and, um, and say things like, we all got to go sometime. Yeah. And well, I that, I'm so glad you said that because we live in a church culture that really, um, 
sees uh, elderly folks as a liability and the treasure is the young people, right? And, and of course, we all want intergenerational ministry. But I don't know about you, I am so over uh, naming numbers of people who are over 65 as somehow a flaw, a fault, a sign of weakness yeah. or, yeah. I'm, yeah. I completely agree and you know, and here goes Morgan. Everybody, hey, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. <laughs> being... I'm gonna catch up to you. Just give me about uh, 20 years and some Rogaine. Okay. See you, man. There's no, yeah. no shortage of hair around here. <laughs> so, uh, where were we? Oh, we were talking about how um, uh, elderly folks are, an, are, if you want to use awful money terms, they're an asset, not a liability. Yeah, no, they're an asset. Absolutely. And their wisdom around the church, too, is such an asset. And, um, and the ones who are really faithful have stuck around through many pastors, and they understand the church is more than just a pastor. Yeah. And um, they, t they understand that it's their church and that they have to take care of it. And um, no, they're, they're, and there's just a beautiful acceptance of life. And all those cliches that we call cliches have deep, deep wisdom in them, like this too shall pass, or we all got to go sometime, or you do what you got to do. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I have a deep, deep appreciation for older people. And that is something that, that I had prior to ministry period. I mean, I, I loved my grandparents. I always made friends with the older people on the block wherever I lived in whatever apartment complex I lived in. I've always been drawn to older people and that was true at Westminster too. I fell in love with Lloyd Henderson and Val and um, and Phil Economin and um, Rosemary um, yeah. and you know I just was drawn to them and so I uh, at Westminster I was drawn to the little ones and the and the much older ones and then everybody in but in the middle was sort of a, a blur but um but uh you know that that's that's the way it was but but to answer your question about leaning into things that maybe people there's so much there rob first of all i am a i am an italian from long island you know we don't hide our feelings very well we just say whatever's come there's not a lot of editing that goes on you know there's just there's a beauty in that and there's a downside to that right but um that's one thing then i decided to go into acting and so as an actor you you're you're constantly learning how to break down your defenses so that you can have access to your emotional life because your instrument is your body and your your emotional life so you learn how to let go and break down all of the things that get in the way of access, all of the defenses that we all have, whether it's physical defenses in the body, having suffered injury and we hold energetically, we hold our bodies and they're, we're blocked. And you see it, you can see when, when somebody's energetic. I mean, some people walk or lean with their shoulders or, um, or not, are knock-kneed or or, or, or you see it in their hands. Um, and then emotional, the same thing. We have, you know, emotional defenses. We all know we have them. And um, so my life's work has always been um, how to access and to grow. And, you know, I am absolutely a lifelong learner and never want to stop. And part of that is vulnerability and, and um, 
honesty and by doing so I always hope that I give other people permission to do the same and you know I I don't know how honestly don't know how else to live so um, it's what's interesting is that I so as a New Yorker an Italian and, and then also a lot of Jewish people in my family and then a lot of Jewish friends and so culturally there too you know the old there's an old joke what's the difference between an Italian grandmother and a Jewish grandmother the Italian grandmother says eat if you don't eat it'll kill you and the Jewish grandmother says eat if you don't eat it'll kill me it's the only <laughs> it's the only difference so so um, the interesting thing is that I ended up working in Protestant churches where culturally there is a, a much more refined sense of not airing your dirty laundry, so to speak, you know, so, so people have said, you know, don't, don't you want to, you really, all my Jewish friends think deep down, I, I wish I were Jewish, and that's probably true. But I also enjoy that I'm a little different in the Protestant culture. Yeah. So I like to think that I bring a kind of permission that, that there's not as much exposure to, whereas if I went to a synagogue, a lot of people like me. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's polite bordering on oppressive though, that, or suppressed. Suppressed, sure. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, and, I have, and, and I have to be careful in ministry, and you may have found this too, but I often assume that wrongfully, wrongfully assume that people wanna go uh, as deep as I want to go and for some people it's just not only it's just uncomfortable and yeah. and, and so I, I've learned how to tone it back and really read and and kind of maybe edge us a little there like and and see how comfortable they are and whether or not they want to go there so yeah you really do have to work on different levels I was in when I was in seminary we had to go through this evaluation part way through it was a tradition from the days when the seminaries ordained you, not the denomination. And they just held that practice over. But I remember partway through mine, one of the professors on my little panel said, do you think every moment has to be like intense and transformational? Is that what you're going for? I mean, is that, and I, and I said, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, I, but for me, the, the meaningful spiritual experiences of my life had been that. And so, yeah, I do think it's a big adjustment to just realize, well, you can't make every moment like that. But it doesn't mean the other moments are worthless. But it's sometimes hard because you don't see the rate of return immediately on just kind of sometimes skimming the surface or just being together. Or it's taken a long time for me to get used to that. Watching the road, literally skimming the surface. Yeah. yeah and watching the road and the leaves and the cars go by. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so glad you talked about acting. I mean, I, I mentioned I wanted to, to ask you about that. And it's funny because I, I guess in my sort of um, novice understanding, I would have thought about maybe performance and how that uh, enables your ability to lead a worship service or whatever. But really, you talked a lot about the internal stuff, the accessing the emotional side and all of that. What else do you want to say about how that connects to ministries? That's fascinating. Oh, yeah. So so it's all about connection, right? Because so Meryl Streep once said many, many years ago in an interview that 
any good actor is also incredibly insecure because no, insecure yeah because and and i remember this as a child just constantly asking what's it like to be that person because if you're not comfortable with who you are then you're always trying on other people for size so so it's a way of both empathizing and connecting and also also wanting to insecurely please them and also try try them on for size you know what's it what's it like and so it's like playing a part, you know? So here's your character for today. When I sit with, and it, it, it's true in ministry, I am a million different people depending on who I'm sitting with in some ways. And in other ways, I'm the same person, almost like our Trinity, you know, three and one, one and three. So there's a relational aspect to it. And there's a, you know, now I'm, now I'm this, or, or now I'm that. and. Um, there's a beauty in that. And then, of course, there's a downside to that, too, which is um, easy to fall into the trap of wanting to, to people please. I, ju I just wrote on my paper, are you a pleaser? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but don't get there yet, because I, I don't want to let the moment pass. I mean, this notion of trying other people on as a path to empathy, I mean, that's very incarnational, right? I mean, uh, God says, let me try, let me try on being you as a way to connect. I mean, what a gorgeous way, what a gorgeous way to do the work. I mean, to take something that we think is such a fault too, right? Our insecurities, we're always told to either get over them or work through all that stuff. But to say, actually, my insecu insecurities can be a pathway to connecting. I mean, yes. that's, wow. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you for articulating it so beautifully. I never ever put the incarnational aspect to that mm. on, mm. so or insecurities. Insecurities is a pathway. Yeah. Or, you know. So, um, so pleasing, this is a, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to not going to judge it. It is a characteristic. I'll just say of many of us who go into ministry is wanting to please. Now that's not necessarily bad. I mean, better, better that than wanting to, um, abuse, uh, <laughs> shouldn't even chuckle when I say it, but cause it's played out in real ways, but, there are worse motivations, and yet, as your indication, as your comment indicates, there's a shadow side to that. How is that played out in your ministry? Oh, it's it's really hard for me if I think someone's mad at me. Yeah. You know, I just I just I want to fix it right away. Um, so I've learned how to. I really, I mean, that is one area that I the, the last five years again the wisdom of the people that I serve. You know, I had one man <clears throat> who I went to a couple of times and said, is this okay? I'm getting the scent, because I sense things on such a yes. deep, and I'm so intuitive that I pick up on things that may have absolutely nothing to do with me. But because of my family of origin and the way that I grew up, I convinced myself that I somehow did something to cause this uncomfortable thing I'm feeling in the room. It must have been me. And even if it's not me, maybe I can fix it, massage it, make it better. So we're not all uncomfortable, or at least I'm not uncomfortable. And I want to do it now so I don't wake up at 3 a.m. and just get it over with. And 
the beauty of his words was that they were a practice. They were a mantra, just like so many of the 12 step slogans that I hear. And, and his was very simply, Nicole, assume it is not a problem until it's a problem. Meaning mm. trust that P if it's really a problem, people will come to you and let you know it's a problem. And it was just a practice. It was like, okay, I gotta, I have to trust people are going to come to me. And if, and if they don't, I'm not responsible for their choice in not coming to me. So it's been a beautiful practice, really. Has, has it, I mean, has it worked? A lot. I mean, not all the time. I mean, I'm still me, but I, but yeah, it's really, really helped. It's helped me to just walk away and let it go, especially after session meetings, you know, it's going to let it go. Okay. Not a problem till it's a problem. If it's a problem, somebody will let me know. Because that runs up against part of what we were talking earlier, the culture of, of kind of our tradition in our tradition, maybe in our demographic too, where it's kind of polite on the surface and there may be scuttlebutt, but it'll go behind the scenes and, you know, and people won't say it to your face, but you'll hear about it. And so that's to really trust that is something to really trust. That. Yeah. And I, I don't, I mean, if, if I hear something directly, like so and you know, so-and-so said, yeah then 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 i might put in a phone call and say hey how's it going how's it da -da -da? this is what i'm hearing you know um that's a tough one though i mean it you know it's again back to the family analogy like it's it's tricky to know when to step in when to let it go but um and it's it's never per it's never perfect yeah. but um how has your theology if it has changed since you took on this particular role <clears throat> it's always changing. Mm. I think that's probably the, that's the first realization is that um, I'm aware of how it's always, always changing. And um, it's really, really clear to me that we're not supposed to have a handle on it, really. And that the mm. minute, the mi I think, the minute I feel like maybe I have a handle on it, something will happen or some new understanding will come in where I go, well, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Maybe, maybe it's this. And I just always, always go back to God's words to Moses when Moses says, what's your name? And God, I did a paper on it. So it's part of maybe why I go back to it, but it's a lot more than I am who I am. It's the, 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 the Hebrew is really um, in all the work I did is really um, just a, a verb of, of being. It's just, I create, I exist. And um, so I, so, so, so lately, and, and, and I've been saying, you know, I understand God as, as being, as life itself, as, as a continual creation. And sometimes it's as vague as a life force, but other times, and in the course of the same day, I also need the, the old man with the white beard in the sky. Like I need, I just need both. Elusive and deeply intimate and um, at the same time. Do you, do you make it explicit for your people that they know that it's okay for it to be constantly changing? Or, or how do you do that? Um, I have a lot of phrases that I repeat a lot and a lot of sermons, you know, and I think one of them is um, 
my understanding of God is always changing and, you know, I'll, I'll make jokes about, I say this today and tomorrow it can change. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, depending on the time of day, this is what I, this is how I understand it now. And I talk a lot about the older I get, the less I understand. Yeah. And that really resonates with the older folks too. Oh, is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's you. Sometimes you can see a split. You'll see some people break toward sort of rigidity and certainty, like I'm going to cling to these things. But many, maybe even more, go to the letting go of. I just I don't know those things, but I'm I've come to accept on some level that. All right, can you classify what you feel like you know more certainly now, and what you feel like you know less about now, or is that just so fluid it's hard to name? I mean, I think well, the first thing that comes. To mine is I really believe that the more deeply we go into our own journey, the more we connect with the universal journey. Yes. So from the personal comes the universal experience. And so, so I really be I believe that as a core belief. But um, uh, I lost your I lost your beautiful. Element. No, what, what you know, sort of more certainly or more profoundly now and what you may know less yeah and i so and I, I i know more profoundly that uh that we that we benefit greatly from sinking into the mystery of it mm -hmm. and that the more we can do that the more we begin to understand those universal pieces of wisdom that we sometimes call cliches and um like like beauty is in the eye of the beholder or um or uh beauty's wasted on the young or um the older we get the less we understand or this too shall pass or you know the things i said earlier i mean those are all those are all really deeply rooted in the life experience from yeah. a very personal place that has become universal wisdom and um, watching the tree, you know, I, I, at this point in my life, I think, you know, sitting on a bench with um, a person in their 90s or taking a walk with them is every bit, if not more meaningful than any meditation or centering prayer that I can do. Because yeah. the rhythm is different, the rhythm to life, you know, it's when my dad had Parkinson's and Charlotte was two and a half or three, they had the same rhythm. And it was a beautiful thing to visit with him. He'd come and stay with us. And it was great because we, they, they walked at the same pace, you know, like she, she, two, you know, a two and a half year old walks, like they walk, but then they stop and they look at something or they, you know, and so, and that was his pace with Parkinson's and they napped at the same time. And they just kind of uh -huh. wanted to sit down and play with whatever was right in front of them. And um, I mean, that's what all the contemplative practices talk about is really noticing and paying attention to what's right. around us and in front of us and seeing every moment as holy. So those are the things I believe more and more and have become really core to my um, spiritual journey and understanding of, of God and, and- you, you, No, go ahead. And I was, and the other thing that I really believe more and more, and and is um, that all good, all religions when they're good, and by good I mean sort of love centered, are all really saying the same thing in 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 very different ways. Yeah. But 
once you get into the depth and the practice of it, the 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 understanding seems to me to be very similar and and so so I will never preach John what is it three sixteen I mean that there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ I think Jesus Christ is my way and a really great way for me works beautifully and so in that way maybe my only way at this point in my life but I will. I will never understand how it gets preached as the only way to this creative life giving force who's the most creative being. My mother used to say, how could the most creative being in the world limit oneself by saying there's only one way to me? It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, it's another way. I mean, so much of what you say is rooted in, is, is rooted or grounded, not rooted in, in human experience. And I'd love to hear you say a little more about that because, I mean, the gift of our tradition is that uh, way back, we, we really tried to make available the scriptures to the people in a way that wasn't so before. But the, I think one of the unintended consequences of that is it's externalized everybody's sort of sense of what is so or what is the highest truth or what isn't. It's, it's taken it out of our own experience. Well, it's in that book as if reading second chronicles is going to tell you how to get through your day at the office i mean there may be wisdom in there but i think we've some, somehow positioned that maybe in a way that isn't as helpful to the detriment of trusting the human experience and so but so much of what you talk about is uncovering deep truths and realities through the lived experience is there anything else you want to say about that well, you, you just said it pretty eloquently. I mean, that, that, that's right. And uh, the only other thing I would say is that it really wasn't taught in seminary. You know, it was very, that was a very frustrating part for me. We, had, we were taught that there are four, uh, what were the, was the word, four? Um, oh, the solas, the by grace alone, by scripture, that whole thing or no? Scripture tradition oh yes oh this is the wesleyan quadrilateral right tradition scripture reason that's right and experience yeah those were the sort of the four things that that you looked at when when trying to find i guess truth with a capital t Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of focus on scripture reason and tradition but we never talked about experience and my whole life has been based on experience first and so it was as as a seminary student whenever i would raise my hand what about experience what about experience i mean it was pretty much written off as well because experience is such a subjective thing we don't really talk about it and um i don't disregard scripture and tradition and um and reason maybe a little more (laughs) but (laughs) but uh i always check back with the scripture first to see what the scripture where it sits in in context and i always try to do justice to the scripture but without connecting it to experience you know again i don't know how else to i I don't know how else to do this work you know well and what are the scriptures but uh, born out at some point or someone's experience experience exactly yeah. and i think i mean i think experience is the pathway at least into the faith and, and what's been difficult is we've held up 
the tradition is the pathway to the faith. And it's very, unless you have an experience uh, <laughs> with the tradition, you, you're sitting there and you're singing a hymn and something starts to happen, which does happen. It's a not, I think it's not a very appealing entry point. Well, these are, um, these are really difficult times. And I understand people's difficulties are, are on different levels. For some difficulty is feeling cooped up in Marin, which is a pretty beautiful place to be cooped up, but it's still difficult nonetheless, or it's wrestling with, you know, homeschooling and trying to do work or whatever, or it's being sick or having no health insurance or having loved ones who have died or losing your job. I mean, the, so there's a full range, but I think we can all admit on some level, it's pretty tough. This is an impossible question, but let's pretend you have the audience of the whole world which you might, I mean, this, the distribution of this is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> or just your old friends at Westminster. What word do you have to say to us? Well, you know, there's that wonderful, I mean, you, 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 what you said was that wonderful quote that's going around that really uh, is, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Have you heard that? Yeah, mm, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and as one of my parishioners always says when something is difficult in her life, she says, this is a small, this is just a small bump. And I always say to her, yeah, but it's your bump. That's right. It's your bump. And so I would say that, you know, it's okay to dance in between understanding the greater perspective, which is so important and also allowing yourself to feel the difficulty that is this time universally because it affects us in ways we don't even understand. And I would say to start, don't forget about your breath. I mean, if, if there's one thing I've noticed in all of this is that I'm not breathing as deeply. I'm just forgetting to breathe deeply. And uh, it's a form of tension. You know, that's just where where I go to hold it. So, um, so don't kid yourself that what the suffering of all of these people that we read about is is working. It's like I said earlier, whether you realize it or not, it's working us. And this is a a beautiful time to go inward and to allow yourself to to feel and express and explore and uh, maybe maybe get the headlines but then put down the news and um, and tap into all those things that may have been lying dormant for years whether it's uh, drawing or painting or baking or um, people are coming out of their houses neighbors are surfacing. Neighborhoods are behaving more like neighborhoods. Memorial Day was never as meaningful to me as it was mm -hmm. this year. Um, a, se a sense of patriotism that I never had before, um, and it's not because of our, not because of our leaders, but because of this sense that if we don't take care of one another in this, if we don't learn from this time how to come together that is that's patriotism doing that and 
And there was a beautiful article in the New York Times, the uh, opinion section, uh, Saturday, about that. And so, so, I, you know, the dance of both the privilege, play the privileged place that we're in, and also uh, the the deep, deep empathy that we should all be feeling for people who are suffering, especially people of color in, in communities um, where people are dying at, at higher rates and people all around us who don't have a job. I mean, it's just, it is a, uh, it's a profound time. And I would also say, don't forget to document it for yourselves, you know? Uh, artists are, are starting to do that through pictures and artifacts, and this time is gonna be written about history books for years to come, so document it for yourself, you know? I have, I've started taking pictures of my kids uh, when they don't know it, because they don't like getting their picture taken, but uh, that's been one of my biggest joys in all of this, is having my kids around. And, yeah. um, and I want to hold on to that forever. I'm never going to get this time back. Yeah. So, I couldn't. Well, uh, honest words, words Great. of compassion, words of truth, words of grace. Nicole, thank you so much for making time for us. It's been a real treat. Listen, Rob, I will, if anytime somebody wants to ask me to talk about me and I don't have to pay them, I'm in. <laughs> hey, uh, well, what about the, I thought there isn't a payment going on? <laughs> And I just want to say how much I miss all those children and that every once in a while I run into a parent and they tell me how old their kids are now and I can hardly believe it. And I just, I just want to say what a joy it was to be with all those children for so many years and the teenagers and the mission trips and, um, and everyone else. And um, it's a beautiful church community and I'm so glad that you're there and they clearly love you and you them and, and Bethany and, uh, and, and everyone else who contributes to making that church such as such the mega church in the Presbyterian world. <laughs> well, now I, now we owe you money, but, uh, I know for a fact people will really treasure in seeing this. So, so thanks again. And we'll do it again sometime. The opportunity. All right. All right. Be well. You too. Take care.